knowing what I know now and knowing the power of a good conversation, the power of a well-placed question to intrigue others into that conversation is so monumentous and can change a single person's philanthropic endeavors. It can change someone's engagement to an institution. It can change someone's relationship status from friends to something more. I mean, why would you leave that to chance when you have the tools to possibly make it happen or take chance into your own hands? A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rue Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rukens, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. Conversations. All right, Devin, what people cannot see in this <laughs> podcast is the big smile on your face as you were listening to this opening jingle from a familiar person. Um, who was that? I think that was Mr. Anthony Vade, my, my one and only, my first, my first Canadian love in design. Awesome. He's a, he's a singular CED event geek. So Devon Montgomery Pasha, you're a CMP. Uh, if I look at your LinkedIn profile, it says events professional, craft experience producer, engagement and logistics professional, a master student and a food enthusiast from Springfield, Pennsylvania. And you're the associate director of alumni events, office of alumni relations at Drexel University in Philadelphia. But you were just saying, tomorrow you're going to have a global event. Global event? Global Night of Networking 2021. We're so happy to be able to at least attempt to do it in person. And we made the decision over the summer that we were definitely going to do our best to bring people back together after a year of being apart. So the theme and, and the design thought was, was Drexel together. And what could we do? How do we bring people together safely where they are based on their comfort levels? Of course, adhering to, you know, here in the States, CDC guidelines, um, but, but the general understanding was people want to get back together. So how do we do that safely? And what's the, what's the goal? And what do we want them to know? And, and truthfully, how do we kick off, you know, our fiscal year, you know, 21, 22 here at Drexel and, and kick off the theme and kick off the whole year with this understanding, like we're going to start by being together and we're going to follow that all the way through our signature events, our local events, our regional events, our virtual events, uh, and, and start a whole year back together. So you're going to be in how many destinations tomorrow? 30. Three zero. Three zero across the globe. Mostly here in the United States, but a couple of international locations as well. Not for the faint hearted. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Let me ask you this question, Devin. Um, <clears throat> when we open the book, Design to Change, which I saw you have on your end there as well. The opening question or the opening statement says, a good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? I think in the past, I would have left a lot to chance and hoped that 
the chance of that conversation would have led to good change. Knowing what I know now and knowing the power of a good conversation, the power of a well-placed question to intrigue others into that conversation is so monumentous and can change a single person's philanthropic endeavors. It can change someone's engagement to an institution. It can change someone's relationship status from friends to something more. I mean, why would you leave that to chance when you have the tools to possibly make it happen or take chance into your own hands? Powerful. So your very next Horizon Tomorrow is this huge, you know, 30 destination event that's happening, but it's probably not the only thing that's on your horizon of change. <laughs> let's, let's push the horizon a little bit further, like a year out. What's on your horizon mm -hmm. of change? Like as you look into the, and, and we have a, we have a lot, you know, professionally, you know, bringing uh, alumni and, and friends of the university back together after you know, over 18 months apart, uh, trying to remind them what it is to gather, to uh, instill faith in them and trust in us and the institution that we'll do our best to do it as safely as possible, while mm -hmm. also, you know, wanting to remind them um, of the behavior, what it was like to be together versus only interacting with us in a virtual setting. Mm. Sort of, you know, the baby steps back to this is what it's like to be together. This is what the rules are. We're happy to see you. Yes, we will buy your first drink. Yes, there will be food. You know, it might look a little different, but but the being together and the engagement, that's the same. So we're looking down the pike at, at our signature events. We do two in the fall and two in the spring. All culminates with alumni weekend mm -hmm. um, in, in May, which we're, you know, which we're looking forward to and already thinking about. Uh, if anyone walks into my office, which I get to go to a little bit more sparingly than I used to, actually have the mural up in my in my room and make sure that I'm, you know, in, integrating the design and understanding the empathy for all of my audiences as I move forward in the planning and, and use my team to move forward in planning. And then beyond that, we're closing a capital campaign. Uh, so we're on the cusp of won't share the dollar amount, but we are right on the cusp of, of closing our largest capital campaign in Drexel's history. After a year of, of being apart, after you know fundraising in a virtual setting, after engaging in a virtual setting, we're very hopeful to have the successful close. And how do we celebrate that? How do we celebrate that knowing that there were so many volatile and pivotal moments over the course of that campaign? Um, Drexel went through a lot with hospital closures and the pandemic and, you know, students and financials and you know the all the larger conversations around DEI and, and engagement and you know, understanding diversity, celebrating diversity in an institutional setting. And how do we take all of that and celebrate it? What audiences are we going to think about in celebrating that? And how do they want to be celebrated? And how do we make it public that we've done this monumentous thing and and to thank them for for being a large and essential part of that. So that's definitely something that I'm, I'm looking forward to and, and thinking through uh, as we close as we close the fiscal year. And then, of course, you know, and anyone who does higher ed campaigns, as soon as you close one, you take a breather and you're already working on the next one. And what are the goals <laughs> and objectives that you'd like to meet? And, and what does the university need? And what is it going to look like? That's a big part of, of higher ed right now here in the States is forward thinking. We're all looking at um, a shrinking pool of you know, college age students, you know, that 18 year old pearl is going to get smaller and smaller, especially as we get towards 2026, where it, it pretty much drops off. Okay. So what does education look like? How do you engage folks with a higher ed institution? Is it skills versus degrees? How do you engage an adult learner? You need a completely different timing skill set, 
Um, and if they become alumni, how do you engage them where they are? So you engage have like them with four their businesses. Five, so it's only four or five years. So you get to that drop-off point. Yeah, it's only four or five. And we have to look through to it because in the end, if we're all competing for a smaller and smaller pool, what is the engagement point? So though I'm not in admissions, it's something to think about because it also means if you start extrapolating that out, we're actually going to have smaller and smaller academic classes, which means yeah. that the the burden on those classes for the philanthropy will get higher. Yeah. So there's a lot of horizons sort of past that 2026 point. And it's interesting how because of the predictability of your audience now, right now, the assumption is that, okay, you know, in that age category, you go to this and at that age category, you go to university and then you have a very predictable audience that's coming down the pipeline. Almost reminds me of uh, I was in at Art Basel, the trade uh, trade fair here on modern art recently, and there was a really cool exhibit where they they showed the um, the age categories on a country level, and it was turned into little statuettes. So from you know zero years to oldest, and the shape of the statuette indicated per country what the distribution of the age categories was. And you could like walk around the world and see the age distribution of, of, of the countries visually, right? And um, it tells you a lot about that fact and how different it is in different countries. It's, uh, it's fascinating. It's um, amazing so how some... visual representation helps you understand more about yeah. the world. And what I'll do in the liner notes, uh, remind me, Devin, if I forget, I'll add a link to that uh, because they also had an online viewing room of that, right? Because they have the same challenge that you have and mm -hmm. had is how do you bring, you know, modern art to people across the planet if they can't travel to Basel? Mm -hmm. um, good. The next thing that we could do is, you know, we could um, go further into the horizons, right? And, and dig down the horizons of change or the other alternative is that um, we could spin a wheel which has all of the topics from the Design to Change book uh, and see, we might still end up on the horizons of change, but it might be something else. We don't know. What do you I want think to spin the wheel. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm game. Okay. Let me spin the wheel for you. Ooh, perspectives. Perspectives. Oh, I love the confetti. See? Makes it feel uh, like I won something. That's that's one of the perks of, um, you know, having um, more than just the audio. But I'm sure that as they're listening to this, they're thinking of what kind of confetti would that be? Mm. We're opening up the perspective. So it's a different perspective when you have audio only. Your brain needs to work for its lunch. And um, mm. we could actually see that perspective. But now we're going to look at the questions from that chapter. Um, Perspectives is, um, let's see, chapter two. It's actually right after Horizons of Change. And um, let's, uh, let's open the page to the questions we have there. Um, and if you're wondering what questions these are, um, in the liner notes, again, you'll find a link to them. And we're going to ask um, Devon to provide a typed version of the answers as well. Within a couple of days after we record the podcast, Devin is going to give us the typed out version, which we'll paste also into that liner note. So you can see, you can hear her answers now and you can then read her answers um, and see how they match up or are different from each other. 
because sometimes when speaking or writing, we have different thoughts. Cool. So here we go. The first question that we have here is, what recent conversation did you have that you may have left to chance that you wish you could redo? If you're enjoying this conversation, check out the book and full multimedia experience by purchasing your copy of Design to Change, elevating your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Visit designtochange.online to order your copy and start interacting with more thought-provoking content like this. What recent conversation did you have that you may have left to chance that you wish you could redo? I would have to say it was the conversation about the future of having event professionals in institutional advancement. Um, I think at some point I was more advocating for myself, but in hindsight, I wish I had advocated for more thoughtfulness in what it would mean to have something like the director of engagement events, someone who could partner with a director of engagement to match a pipeline, an engagement pipeline with engagement events to see how they dovetail where those people are in their engagement journey and how do we get them into the pipeline? How do we pull them out of the pipeline? When do they remove themselves? Is there a way to enter them back in? Um, I like to think of it like a river a lot of times, um, you know, and a river as it starts at its starting point can get bigger and smaller and tributaries and it kind of flows towards the ocean. If the ocean is like, you know, million dollar gifts, there's a lot of people who enter and exit the river at different times. And the way I've begun to think about it is the events that I'm chiefly in charge of that I help to design can really affect people's time in the river, their entry points, their exit points, their re-entry points, Hmm. um, and how long they choose to stay because we're enacting change on them. And I think the conversation that I wish I had not left a chance was expressing that concept and how educated event designers with a seat at the table to challenge the leadership, to ask the questions, to get them to think about what really are the goals and objectives, who really is the key audience, what do those people look like, and having the gift officers or, or records officers who know them the best, who know the data, who know the people, have them come to bear on those conversations. You know, if I had not left that conversation to chance, I think I'd be looking at a different perspective, especially as we head into our first in-person year, looking at a wonderful campaign close, looking at a launch of another campaign. What would that look like? You know, if we went through a presidential transition, how could we change that perspective and how could we educate our constituencies on not only the amazing president who might be outgoing, but the possibility and future and hopes of an incoming president and what they could bring to bear on the institution. So, yeah, I, I, I think that with time and with a change of perspective to, to paint that picture, that conversation may have gone a lot differently. Hmm. And so for those that are not intimately familiar with how that works in higher ed in the United States, right? Because we have auditors from across the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes um, we assume that the language we speak is something that everybody understands. Um, um, uh, but the logic, I think, that 
the loyalty you have as a student to a university over time makes you curious to maybe contribute back to the university that got you to where you got, right? Uh, and you want others to um, benefit from that same or even better opportunity by giving back to the university um, through funds that are then allocated to the students, right? And I, I think that's the concept, right? So how, how it works. Mm -hmm. And the director of engagement is the one that, at the end of the day, engages back those that once studied there as alumni to say, now that you're successful in whatever it is you've done, would you like to donate back to <laughs> all those young people that are still about to start? Or maybe, maybe as you said, um, with the age demographic at 26 now really coming to kind of a kind of a steep drop, um, maybe there are different ways in the future how this is going to work. So let me bring that to the next question. Um, let's pretend that we're standing on that verge of the next president coming in, or maybe somebody has that aspiration, right? Somebody in that class of 2026, thinking into the future, says like, "Ooh, you know, when I when I'm." When I'm at that point in my career, I really want to donate back. Let's pretend that person is standing in front of you. Um, they're about to become the inbound president, but they didn't know yet. How would you address risk and reward with them in your next conversation? Mm. As they're about to become president? Or, or somebody's going to ask them to become the yeah. president, right? So they, they, they might yeah. not know yet, but this is like the future, the future leader of that um, mm -hmm. engagement, as you mentioned it, or as, as the one that's going to, you know, fill the ocean mm -hmm. or help fill the yeah. ocean. Yeah. I, think, I think addressing risk first. I think initially when people are uh, faced with something that they don't understand or don't know or unsure about, the fear and the, and the fear of the risk and, and the failure is the initial barrier. And it's, I think also becomes a barrier to other emotions. Hmm. Um, and the importance is to get to the reward section to create more positive emotions, to start getting all those neurons firing, to start creating connections across, you know, longer brain hemispheres. But, but that risk and fear kind of keeps you just front of mind, beta brain reactive. So by addressing the fear, by addressing the risk, saying, yes, we absolutely acknowledge that, that there's a risk and and you might fail or you might feel like you don't know what you're doing, but let's shift the perspective. What if it wasn't scary? What if the reward for being different, my hope is maybe it's a woman or a person of color, someone who hasn't led the institution, someone who would come at it from a completely different perspective. It's like what if your perspective, your unique life skills and experience is what is gonna lead us into the next century, is what is going to lead us past a precipice of possible issue and into a new world of change. You could lead the way to what this looks like. You could be the one who paves the path that others will follow. And I think once you get past that and you start thinking about the possibilities and change the perspectives towards the positive, mm -hmm. then you get out of that sort of front reactive beta brain, that fear, that risk, and open the door to sort of that back end of the brain and possibilities. And what you bring forward with that positive perspective is all of their experiences that are kind of stored back there. Like, well, yeah, you know, I, I am different. I, I came from a working family and I worked my way up from nothing, or I came from an immigrant family who came here and built a life. And now I have this amazing opportunity. And, and how could that 
change my perspective and change what I do in this role. Mm-hmm. And, and as you sort of bring those positive experiences and rewards to the front of mind, it starts to shift the balance from risk to reward and changes the perspective from fear to hope and fear to possibility. And I think in that state of not reactive risk and fear, but proactive emotion, proactive hope, then you get them to be their best selves and could, you know, you could get the reward. And I think that's most any conversation is to, to stop the reactive, you know, where you can't really think past the now to a calm, more open, wide space of possibility. Love that. I, I was, I was thinking as you were talking about that, that, um, the dream part of it, right? The imaginary part or the, the back brain part of it. <laughs> so the, the rewarding, uh, part actually implies that it takes more time to get there, right? Cause you can't dream without sleeping or at least I don't, mm-hmm. you can daydream, but I think that takes a bit of time as well, but it actually takes more time to maybe, uh, um, think through what the rewards could be, right? You have, you have to let them grow. You can't just state them, I think. And the risk, because they're so fear-driven, are so action-driven, they're so direct, so upfront, so quick, they're much easier to get to. So mm-hmm. I think there's also like a time factor there that you could play with. Um, and that's exactly what you said, like ad- address the things that come first first, which are the risks, which then allow you to park those or address them and just state them because then you open the way, the gateway to the, to the dream world of wonder, which will give you the rewards, right? So super cool. I think that's really, really important. Let's go to this next one, <clears throat> which is actually the last one in this series, kind of sad because however complex perspectives are, we only have three questions in this chapter, but in the book, it's got a full page just for that one question because it's a, it's a short mm. question, but a, a big space to think about. And the question is, what question would you ask to see it like they do? Hmm. I think in the same example, it would have to be, what are your topmost fears? Because I think someone addressing the fears and verbalizing them to you puts them in a place of vulnerability, which I think is a a nice precipice to, to work on, to change perspective. Mm. If you're really like hardlined and not vulnerable and, and direct and like, I'm not afraid. This is just fact. Mm. You're not putting them in a place of change. You're, you're like, you can't change someone's mind. You know, you might change how they, you know, you want to change how someone feels about something, but you're not able to change their mind. So if you come at it and ask them to be at a place of vulnerability, like what is your top fear about this? What is your hesitation? Why and why? And I think you always have to add the and why sort of like quantitative and qualitative data. They don't, they might necessarily speak to something, but together they make a whole story. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would ask is, is understanding the whole story. Maybe you've had an experience that would truly lead you to believe that this is impossible. And from there, you understand the climb to perspective. You, you understand the, how far do I need to get you to go up the mountain so you see it a little differently? Is it a step stool? Is it a ladder? Is it 
you know, is it the full Himalaya like that to get you to change your perspective? But you have to understand them first. And you not only have to understand the what, which is that initial reaction, but you'll have to understand the why. And I think it's it's always going to have to be those two sides of the coin. And without making sure you ask them both to get the full story, to understand their perspective, then you can see how far you have to go to maybe help them see it differently. I like that. And in, in, the, in the book, and, and you, you prompted that Himalaya picture in my head, where no one, I think, except the first one, <laughs> <laughs> oh, probably even the first one that you know climbed the Himalaya. There's always those Sherpas that go out way ahead of all of those climbers, right? To put up the ladders across the crevices, and on the day mm -hmm. itself, it's always different from the three days before, and then, like the path is never the same. But those that have been there before have a shared awareness of progress of what it takes to get through the rough patches, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that picture. Uh, especially now, creates value, right? Because the value you provide to reach the ultimate goal because you can preempt where the rough patches are going to be and you have a way to cover them or to address them because you've thought about them before, you've experienced them before, you have the tools to deal with them and you prevent from them having to do the work as well, right? So it's... <laughs> They can wake up two hours later than the Sherpas and, you know, uh, right. and, and still have to drink, you know, the, uh, the warm tea and, you know, it's mm. still going to be a tough challenge, but not as tough as the Sherpas that are doing only that little bit, but they're doing it really well. So a lot of other people can benefit from it. So I like that shared, aware of, uh, you know, shared awareness of progress offset against putting, being able to identify the risks and putting a, putting a label on them and putting a solution to them. Uh, before the whole reward thing um, is dreamt up and, 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 and put into place. Because it minimizes, it minimizes the exposure, I think, right? Mm -hmm. It minimizes the, the, how the risk might impact the output. And especially well, what you do. Sorry? Mm -hmm. We're human and we're fragile and we're mortal. And yeah. I think that, you know, don't fall down and, And, and don't get hurt and like, don't go too high and don't try and don't fly. And, and, and no, 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 because, because there's this fear and there's risk and, and, and that's inherent to, to us as humans. But if you have someone who takes your hand and says, no, I did it. It's okay. No, I've, I've tried it. No, I cleared the path. I made it a little easier. And if I told you I made it a little easier and I, and I put the helmet on you and I put the extra safety belt, will you trust me? And, and just come a little bit further down the path and I will hold your hand because yeah. I promise you at the end, it's going to be something that, that will change your life. Absolutely. And I think that's, um, you know, you, you started off with the metaphor of, of the river and the ocean of how <laughs> the money ultimately flows back to, to the source of where it can be best mm -hmm. used, right? Back in the ocean. And the higher up you go, the harder the water becomes, right? Because it becomes snow and ice and... Mm. Ultimately, it has to melt to get down the mountain. So it's a, it's a really powerful visual that you're sketching our head. Thank you for doing that. Um, I also know that um, I'm a little concerned because you mentioned that whenever you talk about things, you always mention food elements, right? <laughs> Or you're, 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 you know, you're passionate about food. 
And so um, what I'm going to encourage you to do is to refrain from doing that here. And we're going to build the anticipation as a real <laughs> Sherpa cliffhanger to the backstage area, right? Because in okay. the backstage, we're going to talk about what this means for you, but also maybe hear some of these food stories and how food creates change, right? Ooh. How does that sound? That sounds amazing and delicious. Delicious. Before we do that, <clears throat> we're going to ask you two favors. One of them is we're going to send you the questions from this worksheet, these three, and we're going to ask you to answer them in a little uh, written exercise so we can add those to the liner notes. Um, that's actually not a question. It's actually a mandatory exercise. <laughs> then become an EDC mastermind, right? Because um, Pasha is going to join us for the EDC mastermind this year in 2021. So for posterity, you hear this in 2026, when that steep drop-off comes from the youth that goes to university. Um, think back of this moment. This is the first time that you know, you're going to jump into the EDC mastermind uh, puddle. Um, and one of the things that uh, we then encourage you to do is to go to that same worksheet yourself, if you're listening to this podcast. And if you click on that, you'll get kind of a chat version of those three questions. And we challenge and dare you to answer the questions just with, with the first, first thing that comes up in you. Because then the answers will be scrollable for everyone that goes to those questions. And you can see not just your um, um, answers here from Devon, but you might see your own answers and answers from other people that have gone through this before. So uh, that, that was one. Uh, two is... Next year, we're going to put a little anchor in the agenda to see if the horizon of change that you were talking about in the beginning has come to fruition for you. And we're going to ask you about your next horizon of change. So this is an open invitation to accept a conversation for next year, um, which might be different from this one, because we could spin the wheel or maybe there's something mm -hmm. completely different in the second round of episodes. Uh, do you accept that challenge? Devin? I accept wholeheartedly. Cool. cool. Um, so we're going to speak before that at the Mastermind series and probably all, sort of, all, all sorts of times in between. But we look forward to that conversation because that's going to be, again, a public one that people can look forward to and reconnect to you next year to see where you're at then. It's exciting. All look right. forward to it. Devin, thank you so much for this um, perspective on a matter of perspectives from your end uh, in higher education. And again, if you're interested in the food war stories, you can hear those in the backstage area. So see you there in a, in a couple of moments. This has been another episode of the Design to Change Designer Conversation Series. Explore these conversations and additional content at designtochange.online. Want more right now? Tune into the backstage episode of this conversation and hear what the experts discuss offstage.